Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding This morning we're going to be reading out of First Peter chapter two, verses nine through twenty-five. Give ear, for this is the very word of our God. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you. As sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. O gracious Lord, use your word in our lives. To conform us to Christ, to cause us to trust him and love him and give ourselves completely to him. In Jesus' name, amen. I read of a church that 
put right about right in front of where this table would be, maybe a little further back, a huge wooden cross. I think I've mentioned this before. They built it right there. It wasn't movable either, just right there, so that there was no way to come into that place. There was no way to even look up front. There was no way to do anything without feeling like the cross is right in the middle of things. Now, I think there's a cross in here somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Um, that's a, that's a, a, an amazing symbol for us. And the important thing that I want to underscore this morning, it, it's a symbol in so many ways. It's a symbol of the love of God. It is the symbol of the manifestation of God's love on earth. The show of God to himself for mankind. Yeah. How huge is that? The revelation of God, the final complete unfolding of who he is, is shown forth in the cross. And so that speaks of relationship. It speaks to God seeking us. It speaks to God embracing us. And of course, the cross is the symbol of salvation, the very way that we come to him, the very way we are redeemed, the very way we are transformed. The very basis of our acceptance before God constantly is this cross. But then what this passage really speaks to as well is the cross is our whole pattern for living. It's not to be this doctrinal thing that kind of informs us about our salvation and then we go about our way. It is the very way we live. It supplies the very strength and motivation for life. It is the whole source of our living before him. And this is one of the most glorious passages that shows that interconnection as he speaks to servants and slaves suffering unjustly under their masters. And he envelops them with the teaching of the cross itself. So that the cross is not, you know, this doctrinal thing that we pull off the shelf every once in a while to remind us of what we believe. It is the way we live. We cannot live without it. These are dire circumstances. This is serious. This is practical. Down to earth, absolutely practical. How you even show forth the, the character of God in the midst of your difficult situation. So let's dive in. We're going to begin with verse 18. We're going to talk about that section, verses 18 and following, to try to get at verse 24, really. He bore our sins in his body on the tree, but we need to see how it's connected because as he's talking to servants, he points them to the example of Christ And then, though you can't see it in the English, in the Greek, verse 22, 23, and 24 all start with the word who. So, following his footsteps, who committed no sin, verse 22, who when he was reviled did not revile, and 24, who himself bore our sins. So you see, it's a part of his argument. It's a part of the reason that you show respect to those Under whom you're suffering unjustly. Why? Because he bore your sins on the cross. See, that's not just a thing that, oh, remember, you're forgiven. It's that this has everything to do with how you approach your daily life. Now, 
when he speaks of servants being subject to the masters, he says, verse 18, not only to the good in general, but also to the unjust. The Greek word is scolios, from which we get scoliosis, curvature of the spine. Well, these are, you might say, uh, moral crooked people. Uh, This is the same word in Philippians 2 when he says, you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The other translations have here unreasonable or harsh or cruel or perverse uh, uh, master. So these morally uh, have moral scoliosis, so to speak, and yet you're to show them respect. These perverse people under whom you serve. And notice how he puts in verse 19. This is a gracious thing. Now, it's the the word literally it reads this. The word is is understood in the Greek. This is grace. It's the common word for grace found all through Scripture. The grace of God. The grace, as we spoke this morning, grace of God to you. It is by grace that you're saved. But this could mean it also refers to the favor of God, the grace from God or favor of God. So does it and I'm going to say that it really means all three of these things, but it could mean this is a commendable thing or this finds favor with God if you do this. Okay, so that's one use, a regular use of the word grace or favor. Or it could mean this is a gracious thing that you do when you show this kind of respect Or it could mean this is the grace of God in you when you do this. And I would say it's probably all of that. But you see the point in the same phrase at the end of of verse uh, 20. He says, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Beginning verse 19, this is a gracious thing. This is grace. You might put it this way. This is a grace filled thing. I like the way the ESV has this. This is a grace filled. Thing. This is manifesting the grace of God. This is grace operating in your life when this kind of thing happens. That when under an unjust, perverse uh, scolios, when you are under that kind of person and you still show respect and honor and love and you endure suffering. There's the grace of God showing itself. And of course, that's why for us, worship and meditation and prayer and fellowship with God's people are so important that we know this gracious God. Because he puts in verse 19, this is gracious when mindful of God. And I like the NIV because it says conscious of God, because this is the regular word for conscience in Scripture. Used quite a bit in Scripture when it speaks about our conscience. And so when you have a consciousness of God, when you're concerned and and you want to please him, you want to live in a way that honors him. This is a sign of grace that you are mindful of God in the midst of your suffering. That you're really taken up not so much with your suffering, but what about God in this? What about my showing forth his grace? What about my honor to him? When you do good and suffer, this is a gracious thing, not when you've done something wrong, but even when you do good and then you suffer and you're mindful of God in the midst of that and you put yourself in his hands in the midst of that. There is a great sign of grace. 
So far from putting God under the microscope when we're suffering, we're actually seeking to please him in our suffering. How can I manifest him? How can I show how great he is, how glorious he is, how good he is even now in my suffering? So that's the message that he has for servants. But how do we do that? How do we keep God in mind like that? How can we live that way? How can we be so transformed that even in the worst circumstances, we're manifesting the grace of God? And of course, he points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important here when he says keeping God in mind He then points us to what God has done in Christ. It's not as though he's dealing with two things, you know, where we've got God and then we have Christ. No, it's the same thing. Keep God in mind. Keep God in mind, particularly for what God has done in Christ. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ to keep God in mind. Let your mind be filled with the example and the work of Jesus Christ. That's how you... the uh, Well, to pull it like if you could lasso the moon, you know, and pull it down as Bruce Almighty did in that movie, of course, stupid, silly thing. And he ruined the earth as a result, of course. But um, but to pull God into your life so that it's not just a tiny little moon or a blinking star, but that it's the glorious moon shining brightly. And and it's just like the daytime, you know, sometimes when you're on a full moon night and you just. You just are amazed. Look how bright it is here. I can see everything. It's almost like the daytime. That's what we need. We need that presence, that understanding of the grace of God, the presence of God in our lives. And uh, here we he shows us that this is to be had through Christ himself. First, then, to see that Christ is our example of. In suffering unjustly. He is our example in suffering unjustly. He says, you've been called to this. Why? Verse 21. To this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving an example. The word example here is literally a writing copy that they would use when they would uh, outline letters and give it to a person just learning, a, a child just learning to write their letters. Here's the example. Here's how you form the letters. So in that way, he says he's given you this writing copy. But then he says to follow in his footsteps. So it's almost as though he's using that image to say, hey, the, the footprints are in the sand. Walk in those footprints. You've been called. And here, look, the one who calls you has suffered unjustly. Duh. You know, what would you expect? Now, with everybody on TV who offers uh, workouts or or equipment for building your body, every one of them is sculpted beautifully. Right. Well, except for Richard Simmons. Uh, but, you know, uh, but they're all sculpted bodies with three to four percent body fat. So it's kind of like Ben Dice and me. Um, so but you, the point is what you see is what you will get. Right. What you see is what will happen. Of course, it never does, but that's the promise. You will look like this if you use this equipment, if you go through my exercise program. 
What you see is where I will take you. I am calling you to this. Right? Now, what if, what if you are living in a country where Christians are regularly physically abused and you're an unbeliever and you go to a house church meeting and perhaps half the people there are bearing scars from suffering and they try to get you to be a Christian? What's going to happen? Just going to look around the room and you're going to see they're calling me to bear scars like they do. Whoa. I mean, it's written in their bodies what you're being called to. The Lord Jesus has wounds, right? Wounds in his hands and his feet and his side. We're, we, we apparently from his, even his new body, he's going to be the only one in that day who has continuing wounds as the sign of his love. To us, you see, it's written into his very body. This is what you can expect. This is what I'm calling you to. I've left you this example to suffer unjustly, even as I have suffered unjustly. So he leaves us this example of suffering unjustly. And in the midst of suffering, the second point is that he did not sin. This is said several times. This is part of the who's in verse 22, who committed no sin, no deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile. When he suffered, he did not threaten. All of that's one thing. He committed no sin. And let me explain. There was no deceit. Just think to revile or to return to to retaliate with your your mouth is is deceit. It is not truthful. It is not glorious. It is not pure. The Lord Jesus didn't do this. You know, you've heard that this was the regularly what happened with these criminals and many times slaves. This is why it would speak to these slaves themselves, because it was generally slaves, uh, outcasts that were that were crucified. And one of the things that they did would cry out curses on those who were because you imagine the helplessness and the agony and the pain and and all you could do is just hope for the horrible things to fall on these people that had done these things to you. And so curses were pronounced helpless curses, curses that didn't mean anything. They were just considered little pieces of trash and they would be buried in a grave that no one would ever think about them again. And yet they were hurling curses. And here was the one who had all majesty in heaven and earth. Here's the one who had ultimate dignity And he was being reviled. He was being mocked. Hey, come off the cross. Show us who you are. Then we'll believe in you. And you think, how could you not, Lord Jesus? I mean, just a little, just explode one person. (laughs) This is what I would be thinking. It's like, blow one of them up and the others will shut up. You know, that kind of just drive you crazy that these kinds of people, these horrible people were accusing him and and mocking him and spitting upon him. And he did nothing, nothing. He who could have pronounced curses, he who had all power to end the thing right there. And he did nothing. And so far was he from reviling that he spoke blessing. He spoke blessing. He asked the Lord to forgive them. He he sought their good as they were seeking his evil. He spoke to his own disciple, his own mother. He, He spoke to the thief on the cross. He was all about giving himself away, even as people 
were hating him. And this thief at one point was pronouncing curses. And then he began to stop. And he began to see him. See his character on the cross. And and he was transformed. So the very one next to him pronouncing curses, Jesus' love and mercy drew him to himself. So Peter is saying then, you servants, remember your Lord Jesus who bore unjustly and didn't sin in the midst of it. But then the last thing, and this is taking us right to this text, and this is the most stunning aspect of all, that he bore our sins on the cross. This is where he says in verse 21, Christ also suffered for you. One of the first things he says, to this you've been called because Christ suffered for you. And then verse 24, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. And you know, in the Old Testament, the priest would place his hands upon the animal, thereby thereby transferring sin to the animal. And the animal would bear that sin and be killed for it. But... This seems to be the background. Peter now says, and he has the word himself in there, the, the Greek word autos. He, he himself bore our sins. So he wasn't putting his hands on anything else. He himself bore our sins in his body. Not, not the picture of the wrath of God on the body of an animal, but the true wrath of God on his own body on the cross. That's the sense of what Peter's talking about here. He offered himself, his whole self. And at that point, then, his, his, his whole being became like a city whose buildings are gutted and raised to the ground by a holocaust of explosions and fire as he was judged with the very wrath of God at that point. He interposed himself to bear off from you and me the stroke of everlasting death. See, he bore our sins as though he bore them off from us. And one of the old commentators points out to the night Jesus was betrayed and he said, let them go. Take me and let them go. And he said, there's a little picture of what happened on the cross. Lord, take me. He bear your wrath. Let these go. Let these go. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. In the first centuries, Theodoret said, this is a new and strange method of healing because it says by his stripes you were healed. And that would certainly speak to these servants who had themselves, many of them, stripes on their back. And so that may be why Peter refers to that particular passage in Isaiah, by his stripes you were healed. But Theodoret says, a new and strange method of healing, the doctor suffers the stripes, the doctor suffers the cost and the sick receive the healing. What a form of healing for the doctor to take on the suffering and the wounds. And this would heal the patient. But that's what our Lord Jesus did for us. And so how this would especially touch us in our own unjust suffering. Remember, he suffered for something he didn't do. But that suffering was something you did. You may be suffering unjustly, but he suffered unjustly for your sin. 
suffered unjustly because of our sin. He was bruised for our sake. And so, even if we do suffer, we realize, I suffer whatever I do suffer. I'm not suffering the eternal punishment of God that was borne by my Savior. See how that could touch your heart at that time? And my suffering, it's not penal, it's not judgment. He did suffer judgment and he suffered it because of me. And I may be suffering unjustly. That is, I've done the right thing and still I'm suffering. But, oh, if, if justice was really poured out for me, think how I would have suffered in eternal damnation. But Christ has borne that suffering for my sake. And so, as Leighton says, let the Lord lay on me what he will seeing he has taken off my sin and laid that on his own son in my place. I may suffer many things, but he has borne that for me, which alone was able to make me miserable. I may suffer many things, but I'll never suffer for my sin. He bore that for me. And that's our context for suffering. That's the context he's giving for these, uh, these servants who were suffering. And it's that cross. Leighton also has this phrase, and and I thought of it when I thought of the light shining through here. He says that we are quite, quite dazzled by a greater beauty. Quite dazzled by a greater beauty. The greater beauty of the cross, brothers and sisters, it's as you look aright on him, discovering new worlds of beauty and delight in Christ himself. And you grow in the knowledge of that love that passes all comprehension and knowledge. And you rejoice in your thoughts of him. There's the grace and the strength to live a holy life. It's all rooted in your love of Christ and your adoration and worship and praise of Him. Your delight and excitement over Him. That is your strength for love. You see, that's what He's pointing them to. He's not just saying, hey, buck up. It's just Christ, 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 Christ. Here's your strength. Here's, here's the way be dazzled by a greater beauty. And maybe it's appropriate that sometimes we even have to put sunglasses on, you know, to kind of be in here because of the light. And that's really a kind of picture, I think, of how our whole life should be just dazzled by the brightness of the beauty of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh, Lord. We confess to you that. Our suffering, which in most cases is not even close to what happens, happened to these people. And unjust treatment that we have received is very likely minimal compared to this. Though there are many here who have suffered in ways that none of us knows. Lord, thank you that you've gone ahead before us. You who knew no sin, you who had ultimately infinite dignity, abused and ridiculed and mocked, and yet you spoke blessing and not cursing. You did not revile in return. 
O Lord, you had holy and pure character. You manifested the love of God. And so the Father was pleased with you because you showed forth his character. You showed forth his character by not reviling. No, Lord, you are our only hope for showing that character. As we are, are captivated by you, as, as your love for us and your bearing our sins holds our hearts so that we want to give them to no other but you, Lord. We want to please no other, honor no other, be in fear of no other but you, O Lord. We confess our sins that many cases this is not true of us. We confess to you, Lord, that we, like others, show more regard for sin than we do for him who suffered for sin. Oh, Lord, fix our hearts on you. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you for this table that we come to that proclaims in a very physical way, a very graphic way, to underscore everything that we've said. I've given myself for you. Now you may freely give yourself away to others and entrust yourself to my care. Oh, Lord, we bless you and we pray that if there is anyone here who has never entrusted his or her life to you, a true shepherd, may they even do so this morning. They sit and meditate upon you. We pray that they might come to Christ and taste your goodness. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? And shall my soul with rapture trace?